what's going on party people welcome once again to the low-key podcast where we break down some of the coolest movies and tv coming out to you week to week and we're going to start today with dolomite is my name eddie murphy's new film about dolomite and the start of that black exploitation film from the filmmaker rudy ray moore uh, I am your host, Aaron Lanson, also followed by our, our two other co-hosts, starting with Keith Denny. How you doing, sir? I'm good. How's it going now? Pretty good. Pretty good. And joining us from Savannah, we got Tim Malloy. How you doing, sir? How you doing? Pretty good. I want to welcome everybody who is discovering this podcast through MovieMaker.com. The podcast previously was posted on TheRap.com, but I have moved over to MovieMaker.com and want to invite everybody to take a minute, save that on your history, click it every single day, look for stories about things like Dolomite, look for this podcast, look for all kinds of good movie news. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited also to have an all-Southern edition of this podcast. Usually I'm in Hollywood, Keith is in Dallas, and Aaron is in Nashville. Today I'm in Savannah, so we are fully below the Mason-Dixon. Excited. Yeah, same region, baby. (laughs) <laughs> so, well, and, you know, not like Dolomite wasn't from the South. So, you know, we got that going, too. Uh, Arkansas. Yeah, man. And, you know, it's some, <laughs> something about those sharecroppers, man. Like, they, they be one to, as a lot of people put it, uh, can't go back. <laughs> do, do whatever you do so you, you don't have to uh, go back to where you came from. Uh, but this is a really fascinating story. And, you know, I'm kind of ashamed to say that. I was aware of Rudy Ray Moore and I was aware of Dolomite. Uh, Somehow I hadn't put together the huge influence that he had as um, kind of a entrepreneur and also his his ties to the origins of hip hop. Like it's it's really fascinating going back and and realizing kind of the the, you know, just huge impact he had on the start of that genre. Um, But before we jump all the way into that, the film itself, what did you guys think of um, Eddie Murphy's performance uh, in this role as Rudy Ray Moore? I love this. I thought this was the best Eddie Murphy performance in a really long time, as a lot of people have said. It seemed like he was having fun with it. It seemed like he was paying tribute to somebody who he really loves with Rudy Ray Moore. Um, the story of how Rudy Ray Moore becomes a filmmaker is just incredible to me, like to see what he started with and what he got to, to make a movie for less than $100,000 and to scrap and scrape to get everything together, like stealing lighting, doing all the tricks that (laughs) starting out filmmakers need to do, and then making a movie that gets more than $10 million and people are still watching today, and that Snoop Dogg is name-checking in 1993 and long after. The first time I ever heard of Rudy Ray Moore was through through Snoop Dogg. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has paid homage to uh, the character of Dolomite and just Rudy Ray Moore as a a businessman, you know, to all the way back to the Arsenio Hall show. Like, I actually, it, it's weird because after I saw the movie, I kind of just did a quick few searches on Rudy Ray Moore and YouTube and stuff like that. And I was kind of blown away that I had seen stuff uh, from Rudy Ray Moore and I just hadn't realized who he was. Like, Snoop actually, you know, was on the Arsenio Hall show saying, like, without you know, Dolomite, there'd be no Snoop Dogg. Like, he is the godfather of hip-hop, uh, you know, point blank. And, like, all that bravado, all the kind of braggadocious stuff we're used to from rappers, I'm the best. Like, you know, no matter what era you're looking at, every rapper's like, I'm the best, I'm the best. And you're like, well, where the heck did that come from? And that braggadociousness, you know, part of it's, uh, you know, some James Brown, but, like, the vulgarity, the just, like, complete 
like allusions to like absurd things in nature and abstract you know concepts and being the baddest of this and baddest of that that's actually definitely rudy ray moore without a doubt uh, it's it's really fascinating to to you know put those things together and also just really look at the hustle he had you know being able to to do all he did um and bet so much on himself is just something really fascinating i um i think it was just just remarkable what it made me think about it now it seems like with um from with african american culture like a lot of things that we do today ha- has already existed in one form or another you know so when we go into talking about him being the godfather Rudy Ray Moore being the godfather of hip hop goes back to cuz when i think of hip hop i always thought about you know the 80s you know, cats in New York, you know, battling and stuff and, and, you know, MCs and DJs and stuff like that. But it's like, it's always been a part of our culture, right? A part mm-hmm. of African-American culture. Because even even Rudy Ray Moore, when he was sitting with his friends and they were talking about um, using the material that they were hearing from homeless guys on the street, they already was familiar with the material. It wasn't just like somebody just popped up, you know, like the guy was at, Rico was at the record store um, pretty much freestyle and like there's some stuff that they've heard their grandfather and their uncles and stuff tell these jokes, these obscene jokes and these stories that had these rhymes to them and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's always been a part of the culture. The same way as that, like, I think when you think about like um, blues music, how that pretty much derived from gospel music. Yep. And, and from blues, you get country and, and so on and so forth. But it's always been there, been ingrained within the culture. So I really think that was remarkable just seeing that. <clears throat> and, and you always hear about DJs like DJ Cool Herc and Red Alert and stuff like that starting out with the beats, but you don't hear as much about the lyrical content. And it's really neat to see this guy who, you know, is in Los Angeles, comes from the South, and then seeing like New Yorkers take some elements from him and combine it all. I just, I think like the best part of hip hop is how much it samples every element of the culture. And it's just really cool to see how other people have been sort of stolen, not stolen, but. Eh, maybe stolen, borrowed that same trick from hip hop. I mean, I think Quentin Tarantino is like a very hip hop guy in the way that he takes things and remixes things and puts his own spin on it. Yeah, this mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of like when you think of like fairy tales, how like everybody credits um, the Grimm brothers for creating fairy tales, but they really just took stories from um, the more impoverished people and they put it into a book and polished it, you know? Yeah. The stories were always there. It's just somebody else came and just made those stories popular, which in a way, that's what Rudy Ray Moore did. Well, you still got to like it it, it does really take some work to polish it. You know what I mean? And yeah, Yeah, you get credit for polishing it. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Well, the thing that was really interesting, too, was there's so many things in this movie that are just winks to the audience. Like, there's absolutely no reason he has to have a Bill Cosby reference in here. But, <laughs> you know, Eddie Murphy famously, um, <laughs> what is it? Is it not Raw? Um, I think uh, it's Raw. No, no, no. Raw is the one with him in, in the purple suit. Um, what's Raw, the other one? Raw's, Raw's hey. tell Bill have a coconut smile and shut the fuck up. Yeah. Oh, that is Raw? Yeah, yeah that was Raw when he was I'm talking. getting them mixed up. Yeah, we're talking about when Bill Cosby called him and said, yeah, I know you with the cursing and, you know, all that. Um, 
you know, Eddie Murphy always can, can, you know, throw that at him. Now, the thing is, if he had done that without all the stuff that's happened with Cosby uh, since that time, it'd be funny, too. It's really funny now. It's, uh, really, it's real funny to think that, like, in history, Rudy Ray Moore comes up better than Bill Cosby. I mean, Oh, oh, that, that's, you know, yeah, I hadn't even it's thought of it just between the, the real people. But that's yeah, that's fascinating, actually. Um, what was my point? I can't remember. That's just too funny. Um, well, also, I mean, that, that just even the idea of seeing an actor kind of work through their their thing. I think it's kind of coincidental that, you know, once upon a, a time in Hollywood comes out, you know, uh, I guess what, within six weeks of this movie. Um, but the kind of having those moments where you get to see actors like kind of staring at themselves in that era, um, like trying to work through their lines and get it perfect before they go out in front of a crowd. And at first Rudy Remorse is doing it in front of like, you know, an actual uh, club, you know, of people. And then later you see him even trying to work it through in the film, like how he's going to, you know, get the, the exact cadence for this character to, you know, be as, believable as this this you know just badass that you just want to to follow to just see eddie murphy kind of work through that was was really cool and i thought that um the choices by the director were very smart there was some really great shots that that happened throughout and it felt I, i don't i don't know if i've seen eddie had to really dig into like a kind of a biopic sort of film before. I don't know if he's done this sort of role in the past, but I, I feel like he really worked well. It's yeah. funny. It's funny you mentioned Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because we did this movie maker gallery um, from Dolomite to Boogie Nights, thirteen great movies about making movies. Um, and one of the connections we made there is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is kind of about the old system breaking down. And this movie is almost like a sequel in a sense because this is what people did after it broke down when they said, okay, I have to do this for myself now. I'm mm-hmm. going to take over this industry. And to see how it, it came into the hands of people like Ruby Ray Moore who just said, you know what, I'm going to take it. Yeah. You know, speaking of that, did y'all both also notice the um, Rosemary Baby reference? Like, <laughs> yeah. Where? Connected to um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Terrell Martin was one of the the guy Wesley. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. He's the like operator. <laughs> yeah, one of his roles in Rosemary's Baby. Right, right. There's um, a lot of really smart things in this movie that are really cool. Um, if you know some of the stuff. Right. I also want to give a shout out to Craig Brewer. I think I really, when I was watching it, it also gave me like a little bit of hustle and flow vibes, mm-hmm. just in the fact where you have a protagonist who's like, in the later parts of his life and then he he realized in a way like he feels like he's been wasting a good portion of his life and he looks back on things and he he wants to make an impact on the world and i think um brewer does a good job at showing stories with these particular characters that want to have a second chance to do something great with their lives so shout out to him and shout out to the cast what did you guys think about the cast overall i thought it was you know it's it's weird because like with Mike Epps, for example, like I don't always think he's like the best actor if you want to do something that's even semi-serious. But I thought he he actually was pretty solid. Craig Robinson is the perfect casting for this um, <laughs> kind of role. Um, I thought that was really smart. Um, the woman who plays um, uh, Lady Divine, Reed. Lady Divine Reed. Joy Randolph, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, she was really good. Wesley Snipes was great. Um, man, he was, he was just so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what a. <laughs> It's, it's been a while since I've seen him, so it, it was really fun to see him. But he he just he can do everything, man. But he he's really good at comedy. I mean, he's he's an action badass, and it's fun to see this dude who for real is like a trained martial artist watching. <laughs> like, like I mean, it's a fourth wall thing, but it's like the the actual actor is a trained martial artist directing a dude who for real can't do any form of martial arts. <laughs> it's the funniest thing in the world. Yeah. I like when he was asking the um, DP, he says, there's a way to shoot this to where it looks like he actually hit them. And he's like, there's no angle. <laughs> no angle. <clears throat> um, yeah. One of did the you guys... things, that, that, that still makes me laugh every time I think about it, the way he like lands the soft hit and how much fun it must have been to, to act that <laughs> out. Yeah. Have you guys seen Dolomite prior to watching this movie? Any Dolomite movies? Yeah, I've seen it, but you know, like I just like I, said, I just never put two and two together somehow. It was one of those things. They're freaking hilarious, though. And it's just I don't know. It it made me think about um when I watched uh, what was the what was the one that with Michael J. Black Dynamite. Mm-hmm. Pretty much a, a a parody of like Dolomite and all these black exploitation films. But it's like those black exploitation films almost seem like a parody of themselves. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty. I don't, it's it's just interesting to kind of see. You know, we, we alluded to this before really quick, but like the business of film. Yeah. I think, it, I mean, it's a really. I think some people will walk away and be like, ah, like why is this even in here? This is boring. But, like, really, if you understanding what they're saying like how films work and distributions of films oh yeah the kind of stuff that you have to go through the hoops you have to jump through this is true like no matter whether or not you so-called have like a mainstream audience or not but specifically when you don't have a mainstream audience there's so many additional things you had to jump through and even it was just funny like how green dolomite was he's like oh it's gonna be rudy ray moore he's like yeah yeah so uh when do i get my advance when you gonna pay with this 500 bucks he's like oh no 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 you're screening this in an individual theater. So if that's going to work, you pay me $500 and you get, you know, the sales from the box office. But not that, you know, I pay you to show the movie. Like, that's crazy. You know, another thing that it also made me think about in relation to hip hop was this idea of like selling records out of the trunk of your car. Yeah. Like, I remember a lot of artists back in the day, I don't know if people do this as much, but they used to sell their mixtapes a lot. People still do that, but they do it on the internet a little bit more now. Yeah, I think, but it it was such a, it was such a cool time. I remember um, when I was in middle school when Yo Gotti came out. You remember that, Aaron? Yes, of course. Every, you go to the gas station, everybody is <laughs> selling all the mixtapes, man. Like, they had all the CDs just sitting there ready for you. Yeah, They but sell them all for five bucks. Yeah, you couldn't find it nowhere else. Like, you couldn't go to the store and buy this. Like, you mm-hmm. had to actually get it from somebody or get it from him. And that was, that was actually yeah. awesome. And, and they would go, like, literally across the city of Memphis, like, there were so many different people who, like, had, like, who were legit had great music that eventually becomes, like, some of these hits that everybody knows now. But they literally had people, like, posted up in all kind of places, but if you weren't, like, at clubs and stuff, they would just reach you at a gas station. Like, hey, what's going on? Blah, 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 blah. Hey, look, so here's a tape, you know, it's, it's a Gotti, it's a, you know, uh, 
you know, A Bond JG, it's a, you know, all these different people, three six. And that was just how you did stuff. Now the thing is, I think so you had also at the time like No Limit doing it. So people like Master P mm-hmm. um uh carrying that on. Then when this is when Cash Money's coming up too, so you got like uh this is when the Birdman and, and um Back to NWA. Um, all that, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. NWA, you had it going on forever. And it's like you have these distribution people. I love how in the movie that he even goes to the box exploitation studio and they say, yeah, we don't think this is going to have a wide audience. Like we're looking for an audience beyond people who buy records out of cars. And what if that is the audience? I mean, what if there isn't what if there isn't a difference between the audience who buys things out of the back of cars and who goes and spends the money at a theater? Like what if that's all the same audience and people just want good stuff? It's like you see how these distribution channels really interrupt the flow of creativity and the flow of artists getting their stuff out there sometimes. And I think the movie did a really good job of saying, like, this guy was ahead of his time. And you see people like, you know, Tyler Perry now taking, like, a DIY approach. If I have to go out and put on a play every night to make sure that people see this, I will do it. And Rudy Ray Moore is one of the first artists in that tradition, uh, modern artists in that tradition. I thought it was really cool how they showed that. This is a, you know what, that's a great point. Because Rudy Ray Moore is not on the Chitlin circuit. But um, he is, like, going around. I don't even know exactly what you would call this. I know uh, Santa comedians have, like, some sort of uh, nomenclature for this. But basically, like, when you go out on tour and you, you know, you're going out to different cities and, you know, you're going places like cities you probably never would have even considered going to. But you're out there performing, doing your thing, and you're just trying to get your big break. Um, so you can start, you know, selling out larger venues uh, on the regular with your agent or whatever. Um but it's it's one of those things it's Tyler Perry really did kind of you know take on that DIY I'm gonna make this happen like there really is an audience for this you know and whether you guys believe in me or not I'm gonna make it happen and now he has his his major studio out there in Atlanta um and and I'm really excited to kind of see the the sort of stories he'll do whether it's gonna be kind of primarily in the vein of what he's done in the past or if he's just looking to allow creatives you know who haven't been given the opportunity a chance to do their thing outside of what he's normally done but he did recognize that there was an opportunity there to you know not just move people um you know but to also like for real make a business out of it there's there's so many people who we never hear about who go out on the circuit and Rudy Moore does say in the movie, like, I'm willing to do the Chitlin circuit. There's so many people who go mm-hmm. out a living that way who might not get the big movie or might not might, might not be famous to everybody who's watching, you know, the Paramounts, the HBOs, like all of these massive companies. But they they do have a very large circuited audience and can survive. I mean, I like how that showed that Rudy Moore was surviving on his record sales even before he had the movie. And then he was like, I'm going to take it to the next level. And who knows how many people he opened doors for. I mean, does Robert Townsend get to make Hollywood Shuffle if Rudy mm. Moore hadn't come out first? I don't know, because Robert Townsend follows a lot of the same DIY approach. Yeah. Very different subject. I mean, he's kind of critiquing, um, you know, stereotypes and things like that that Rudy Ray Moore is kind of more having fun with. I mean, never mind. I'm sort of out of my depth on that. No, 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 no. Well, well, but, okay, but but you know, connecting those things a little bit. I think it's not just that. The critique, like if you have a look at Hollywood Shuffle again, I know it's probably been a little while since you 
took a look at me too. But one thing I've seen the movie a bunch of times, what he's really pointing to is like just his inability for larger parts of Hollywood to even consider that black talent would be capable of anything else or that audiences who watch black exploitation are interested in anything else at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, Ruby Ray Moore has an incredible sense of humor and is making fun of himself and is making fun of, is making fun of stereotypes by sort of acting them out and taking them to like grotesque extremes. And it's fun. I mean, he doesn't actually believe those stereotypes. Obviously he's a character. And I think Robert Mm -hmm. Townsend is more critiquing stereotypes that are imposed on black actors by white producers and white directors. And I think that's the difference Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make. Yep. No, that was was well said, I think. Yeah. And I think it's, it's almost genius how you take a character that you pretty much use in your um, comedic routine and build a whole movie based off of that. <laughs> like that is crazy. But but people do that now. You know, it's not uncommon. Like you have even Saturday Night Live, they came out with, you know, characters that they've had on skits and made movies off of those characters and stuff. That's only worked well, like twice. Like what Beverly Hills Cop in uh, Wayne's World. Yeah, but I'm just saying that that's. I know. Uh, I, was just, what, <laughs> I know this isn't an SNL character, but it is an SNL actor. I mean, the whole Austin Powers thing is kind of the same idea as Dolomite. It's like this incredibly capable guy yeah, with some definitely. some vague martial arts abilities, who women love for some inexplicable reason, who is just you know at the center of this incredibly garish, awesome, hilarious world. And you know yeah. what? The, the thing, another thing about this story that's very, I guess it's inspirational to me the same way as like the disaster artist is, is the fact that these movies are not good. Don't get me wrong, but they have an audience and it just show how objective art can be. So even like right now, I'm working on a screenplay and when I'm writing it, I, if I sit up and I think to myself, nobody's going to read this. Nobody's going to like this. This can't be made to a movie. And I get down on myself and I think to myself, this movie is way better than the room. Mm-hmm. It's way better than way the room. Better than the room. I mean, that's a low bar, but yeah, but it's not as good as Taxi Driver. If I can be in between, but closer to Taxi Driver and as far away from the room as possible, I feel like I got something. But okay, but th- that all goes to like, all right, the one thing that Ruri Moore always said was, "I'm about entertaining the people." I really love that they include this conversation with Darrell Martin, played by Wesley Snipes, where they're, you know, you, you could easily cut this out, but it's so fun to include it where he's like, okay, look, look, look. You're telling me that Dolomite's going to get out of jail because his friend has a relationship with the governor. <laughs> like, yes. He's like, but that doesn't make sense. And they had like this back and forth for like a whole minute. And they're like, no, 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 like just rock with it. And he's like, Whatever y'all can do it, fuck y'all won't do. I don't even care. Um, but it's it's not about it making sense. That's not the point. The point is to like make it entertaining. Right. And you know, sometimes people get so caught up in like trying to make stuff make sense that like it kind of makes everything else fumble a little bit. And at the end of the day, for the most part, people are there to be entertained, not to be you know. Kind of like it was. It was interesting that like Jerry Jones, and I think it's so funny that's his name because all I keep thinking of is the Dallas Cowboys. But yeah. when Jerry Jones uh, is is writing the film, it's like he's like I'm about my art, I'm about my art. But it's like he's like no, I can lean into this. Like I right, we can tell the real, you know, some stuff from the streets. Um, 
And that's all he really cares about is like it having some version of or some semblance of, you know, kind of the grittiness of what the African-American experience is. He don't even care after that. He's like, does it make sense? Eh, forget it. I'm in here with Rudy Ray. He even told me how it's supposed to go. That's that's what's so cool about collaboration and the way they show it, where they set up Keegan Michael Key's guy, Jerry Jones, as, you know, this very like, I make high art, like I make great plays and I would never lower myself to do a movie like this. And then later on, he's just like, yeah, you're right. It's going to slow things down. Just go. Just go. We got we got the light. Let's do it. And then, well, then he got all serious again. He was like, well, I made this like intimate like love scene that was supposed to be. <laughs> Like, taken so serious and they're like no 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 just 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 rock it and the air i was like yeah yeah you're right it takes a few liberties what would actually happen but i i'm you know I, I think they they make sense though honestly i love these two writers scott alexander and larry karaziski who are also the guys who made people versus larry flint they made ed wood they made oh people, really yeah people people v oj simpson and I was just, I was really impressed with how much they condensed and how much they still managed to sneak in. I mean, they left in a lot of grace notes and a lot of really cool asides that could have been cut in the name of a really ruthless script. And they just left in a lot of charm that I think helps mm. set the scene and helps sort of set the characters and enrich the movie and gave you kind of a way to laugh along with some things if you, if you went and did the reading afterwards or if you knew the movies really well and things like that. Like they definitely put in some nice Easter eggs for big fans. Um, and cinema yeah. fans, I wanted to ask, how do you think a white director and two white writers did in in creating a really black story? I mean, it's almost an all black cast. I think they did a pretty good job, but also like you know, I think Craig Brewer is good at telling these particular type of stories anyway. And um, I don't I don't know if it's because of you know <laughs> the people he hang around or his you know own life experiences, but um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, excuse me. They always feel um, pretty true, true to form. I remember one thing that stood out to me, and I was like, I was thinking about this when they were at the um, the movie theater, and they were watching that that film. I cannot remember the film they were watching offhand. Yeah, I was trying to remember that too yeah. earlier. Um, watching me with it, my foul on it, and they were just sitting there, and they was like, "This shit isn't funny," and it was supposed to be like this huge comedy and whatever. And I just. I, I would say that there's been plenty of times where I've been in a movie or like I've been with other um, black people and that was like, I, I don't get it, you know, but then they'll go see, we'll go see a Tyler Perry movie and be dying laughing or something like that. right? And so, then the white people had the same expression. Right. You know what I'm saying? You might have a few that might think it's funny, but that, that's, that's what that goes back to like, it's either you get the joke or you don't get the joke. And you know, like the same thing we were saying about art is just very objective. So just like any group of people, when black people find something that they like, they lash onto it, you know, like showing, like I said, once again, this movie is by technical standards, not a good movie <laughs> that they, that they put together. But the people loved it, you know. It was something that that they related to, even in its most outrageous sense, you know. The same way that like people think like certain movies wouldn't wouldn't sell, like Black Panther, for example. And black people came in droves to see this film. People who've never read a comic book in their life came to see this. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of what you were talking about with white filmmakers in this movie, I mean, I think what's really interesting about it is similar to what I've heard about The Watchmen, which I have not watched yet, but we'll be reviewing next week. 
with the the first episode of Watchmen, a uh, little bit of a spoiler here. Um, it begins with a depiction of the Tulsa race riot, which a lot of people are not really familiar with. Uh, it's a real thing that happened. Um, there are other examples of this throughout American history and, and you know, throughout the early 19th and what's well, going to be late 19th and early 20th century that just aren't wildly discussed. Um, but those aren't things you, you normally want to jump into without having um, people of color um, involved in that process. I mean, one thing, even the, the way you know this, that the filmmakers actually wanted to let you know that they were interested in um, carefully crafting this, this story and Dolomite is my name is they allow Wesley Snipes to point out, Hey, you know, it's like his character, Deverell Martin. Um, you can't just be having no white boys out here trying to depict black people because white, how do you put it? Like white people reflect light and black people absorb light. And, and it really so is a thing where like that. No, but this is something because I know people who, who, you know, worked on different projects and like, this is a thing like you can't, if people don't understand lighting for black people, it really screws it up and it makes them look way too dark or like way too light. Um, I was on a panel last year with a black actor and like he walks in, we were all kind of feeling out the space and he like looks up at the lights and he's like right away, like this is not going to work. And he goes up and he adjusted the lights himself because this happens enough. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> he knows he knows what mm. he's doing. He's been through this a million times and he's been in a million panels that are like put together by white people doing the lighting. And he's like, yeah, guys, like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, that's pretty funny, actually. Um, well, yeah, to, to that point, I mean, but you wouldn't put that in there unless you'd had that conversation at least a few times. You know what I mean? And that's that shows that that you know, I mean, to to white people who who have never even heard people talk about, it, they're like, oh, okay, well, why why is that line even in there? But to black people, they're like, ah, you you, all right, you've had these conversations, you know, you you're giving a fuck. That's cool. We appreciate that. Well, it's funny because there's such a like white person thing of like I will not acknowledge the existence of race, and so they just like set it up and they're like, everyone is equal, everyone lights the same, everything is there is no such I'm colorblind. And it's like, but no, you have to, you can't just say that and make that be true. Like you have to, you have to make sure that you're taking care of everybody on your set and everything that everyone uniquely requires. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, it is kind of interesting to me. Like, people see colorblindness as this um, kind of catch-all for I'm not a racist. But it's like, if you... The thing is, like, being colorblind actually is a... I wouldn't call it a racist, but it's like, if I'm black and you're white, you seeing color shouldn't impact how we treat each other. So, like, you know, see my color, please. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of weird to not... Like, you're trying to see, say that, like, you have to... For us to see each other as equals, you have to not see color. That's a weird way to put that. Yeah. Right. So, I don't know. Like that, that's always, you know, kind of a. I've never understood that phrase. It, it kind of contradicts itself. Uh, but having said that, long story short, I feel like they did a really good job with this story and really allowing it to pay homage to this character. Now, if you wanted to throw some criticisms at this movie. I don't know that this would be mine. I've, I've kind of just read some things people have said about the, the film. Uh, Dolomite is my name. And some people have kind of taken issue with it not, I guess, being a little more critical about certain pieces of 
kind of the the content and the the are tone. About, are we talking about women here? Are we largely talking about like portrayal of women? Oh no, not even that. Just like you know, just like this, you know, this is kind of a black exploitation conversation, but also just okay. kind of like that he you know took some stuff from some other people. Although we've kind of talked about already how like I mean these are kind of like the polishing of things that have been that people have been saying all over the place, you know, for you know years and years and years and years. So it's kind of whatever. Um, if if you're gonna criticize, I mean, I like that this movie shows how he got his routine and like really is explicit in showing like no, he went down and like gave money to homeless people and like took their acts and then polished it and made it more accessible. But if you're gonna criticize people for like appropriation, he is not the guy to start with. Hmm. Yeah, well, and but also too, just as I think some people, you know, in movies like this, they want to see like kind of more of a fall mm. for somebody. You know, like they they want to see like their true kind of hero arc of person ends up winning, but after they have like some heavy fall with this, like with drugs or like they treat a, a woman in their life poorly or something weird, like you know, like like the things you think a lot of people feel like you have to have in a film. Yeah, but and I don't I don't I don't feel like this movie's more to be an homage and an appreciation of the man and in the legend. Um, yeah. In the same way, the the Mister Rogers film, I'm pretty sure it doesn't have him. And I don't know anything about Mister Rogers personal life for real like i don't think he had like any sex scandals or anything i'm pretty sure i really don't know that i'm saying that out loud i don't know if it's true feel free to correct me later oh and um, then, um don't go on google today it's really bad oh no yeah no no i've made a mistake we're on prime earth one um <laughs> but you know i mean look it, it, that that um, biopic with uh, Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers, I mean, it's meant to just simply be an appreciation rather than like a breakdown of like all the flaws of the man. Like there, there's room to do films like this without going all that. I, I appreciate it just that it was able to show the hard work it took for uh, Rudy Ray Morty to get you know get done what he got done and become this pioneer. Um, who did things without an immediate kind of, um, you know, hug from Hollywood to say, hey, we're going to bring you on. He he demonstrated there's an audience and he made it happen himself. And that that's to be, you know, um, I think it's really serve as, as a motivator for future generations. One thing I think this did that was interesting is where it portrays him as kind of a champion of women. Like he gave, there's the specific line, the very specific line from Lady Reed where she says, you know, you put me on on camera at a time when women like me are never on camera. And kind of pre- pre- it kind of presents him as a feminist figure, a feminist ally. And I think there's been a lot of criticism of him in the past and of, you know, some of the hip hop music that he inspired that it objectifies women. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a fair critique. So I thought it was very aware of the movie and smart of the movie to try to put a positive spin on it. People can agree with that spin or not, but I mean to look for the silver lining and emphasize the good, I think was a, a really smart move for the movie to make in 2019. And Craig Brewer did that in um, How Someone Flow too, where there's this guy who was literally a pimp talking about how it's hard out here for a pimp who's <laughs> giving women like roles in the studio, like I want you to sing on the, song, on the album, I want you to do this, even though I think Hustle and Flo does a good job of showing that this dude is also, in many ways, a bad guy in his treatment of women. Mm-hmm. No, without a doubt. It's, I don't know. It, I, I think those things are always so... You, 
sometimes we just here to appreciate the person and you know I think it's okay to do that sometimes, you know. Um, I just more and more just want an honest portrayal of who they were and let me as an audience member sort out whether they're a good or bad person or if I believe in the concept of good and bad people. And right. nobody's nobody can be boiled down to he's a saint, he's terrible. She's a saint, she's terrible. Like, let's just take the whole package and judge them that way. Well, Ray Charles was definitely, like in Ray... He's a very complicated individual. And, you know, in these biopics, like, you really have to... I mean, there's a huge balance asking people to to take on. I mean, you know, I don't think Rudy Ray Moore had drug issues or womanizing issues or anything like that, which is... Again, like, people would make assumptions about him that he would be the the Cosby person in real life rather than Cosby himself. Um, And... So it, it's kind of interesting to kind of see people's expectations versus what the man actually is. Um, I, I thought overall, I mean, the movie just did a really good job of allowing us to kind of just see his flaws, his insecurities. Um, and for someone like Eddie Murphy to like who, who you know, it's been said like had seriously like uh, Rudy Ray more parties like they would just like seriously just sit there and just. Have it, everybody like, all right, for real, we're just going to watch Rudy Ray Moore movies and you, drink and, and just, what was that? Did you hear about that from the documentary or did you hear about that from Neil Brennan's podcast? Oh, I, I heard about that uh, doing some quick searches on YouTube and some other stuff. Uh, um, yeah, we did a story about it on Movie Maker because Neil Brennan said on his podcast how Neil feel. He said that, um, <laughs> he said that they were, he was watching a documentary with Eddie Murphy at Eddie Murphy's house where it said Eddie Murphy loves Dolomite so much he used to have Dolomite parties and Eddie Murphy looks around and goes we're having a Dolomite party right now (laughs) (laughs) that's beautiful Uh, I just I love he can he can like take one of his comedic heroes and be able to do this kind of homage it's really cool like because the thing is you know, I'm sure he went through the similar situation, like when they had that moment with the the T.I. character, like one of the potential people who could be a movie distributor. And like, uh, Mr. Moore, I'm sorry. I don't know if we are um, people will like that kind of show. But we got this one right here about like this uh, kid from the projects that goes to college and makes some of itself. I think that'll fit with our mainstream audience. Earl <laughs> <laughs> Cornbread and me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, did you just say my cornbread in me? That's what it's called, Earl Cornbread in me. That, that's a show? No, it was a movie. That's Earl. a real movie? You never seen that before? Man, you know, no. And I know to the white people listening, that that doesn't mean anything to the black it's people. They will understand film. my incredulousness right it's now. First, um, I think it was the first film Lawrence Fishburne was in. Seriously? Uh, he was a kid. Earl Cornbread? Look it up. That's his uh-huh. name, Earl Cornbread. Yeah. Next wow. We'll be reviewing Earl Cornbread and me. Yo, so like that, that's crazy. <laughs> it was about this um basketball player in high school. He was about to go to college, but then he gets shot by he gets shot by the police at the end of the movie. Spoiler alert. I'm sorry. I'm sure nobody. You talking to me about? Some... <laughs> I mean, it came out in '75. If you ain't seen it by now, shame on you. <laughs> Shame on you. 
I got words for you later. All right, so let, let's let's start closing up the podcast. I don't even know what to say. I'm a little salty at Keith right now. Um, this is the first one in Movie Maker. Um, as Tim said at the beginning, please like, subscribe, bookmark, whatever goodness, to Movie Maker and to the Low-Key Podcast. I'll let them close the rest while I just lick my salt wounds now that I know the end of this movie. <laughs> uh, be sure to check out Earl Cornbread and Me. I hope I have the title right. Is that correct? It's actually Cornbread, Earl, and Me. Okay. Cornbread, Earl, and Me. Sounds like me, Earl, and the dining gr- Dying Girl. That's interesting. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. And also, speaking of um, delicious things, definitely check out Coffee and Namaste, a little site that Keith is running that has some wonderful gifts as the holiday season approach. You've got to show up at Thanksgiving. you got to bring something. You don't want to bring food. There's already plenty of food. You want to bring, like, maybe some coffee cups that everybody will want the next day when all the dishes are dirty. Yeah. Got you. Awesome, awesome. Also check out Tim's podcast he has with his wife Deidre. Shoot this now. Um, pretty good stuff. I just I think the last episode I listened to was about the um the Japanese superhero. Superhero. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the female samurai. Right. Man, that was good. That'd yeah. be awesome. We had a big marital discussion around that one where we got in a huge debate about how many men the samurai woman had killed. Um, it was the it was seriously the biggest fight we've had in our marriage in two years. Was it what did y'all say? Was it two hundred? Uh, we thought that it was one hundred seventy three, and then I, like in a very not supportive husband way, was like, "There's no way she killed one hundred seventy three people." And then we like went back and forth and had to like re research it and everything. So. <laughs> I slept on the couch after that podcast. <laughs> I, I looked it up. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Were you saying that because of her gender? No, no, no. I was just saying there's no way anybody killed 173 samurai in one day. Like, I don't oh, know. in one day. Okay. Oh, well, that, that's a whole Yeah, I thought it was over time because over time I could see that. But like in one day, yeah, you could, you, you were badass. She Without had to be anime level. That's kind of, yeah, she, I don't know. She, that's why I said she was. was <laughs> yeah, she was. She was a badass. There's no question there. But I was, it was just how much of a badass. And it it turned into a thing. Love yeah. you, Deirdre. You're an amazing wife and podcast co-host. And movie, <laughs> ma- and movie maker uh, partner. Right, right. Uh, I mean, he means every single word of it. It's still funny. <laughs> so, um, she, doesn't, she doesn't listen to this. She's like, that's the one where you talk about like Batman, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not listening. <laughs> and bad woman. <laughs> oh. Okay, we'll catch y'all the next one. I can't even think of how to close. We'll, we'll, we'll see y'all next week. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Before we go, also check us out on our social media platforms. We're on oh, Facebook yeah, yeah. and we're on Instagram at the Low Key Pod. So, um, with that, we're out. Peace, guys. Peace. Peace.